Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's a strange phenomenon we might all experience but don't often acknowledge. When there is some sort of mass tragedy like a shooting or an earthquake, the first few deaths we learn about are incredibly emotional for us. We empathize with those people who are suffering, often strangers. Maybe we even feel moved to take action, to provide aid. But sometimes, once the number of people suffering starts to grow, we also begin to feel less and less. This gradual emotional detachment is actually part of being a human. And right now, nearly all of us are experiencing it to some degree during this pandemic. Around the world, more than a million people have now died from the coronavirus. One million people. Rationally, we know this is devastating. But emotionally, why can we feel so removed from it? The answer, it turns out, may have something to do with the concept called compassion fade and an experiment that reveals some of our most surprising moral intuitions about whose lives are most worth saving. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Some of the groups that people were most biased against in our experiment are also the people who are most vulnerable to the pandemic. Azim Sharif is an associate professor of social psychology at the University of British Columbia. In 2016, he and some colleagues launched this experiment called The Moral Machine. They asked people around the world to play a computer game that generated a series of different moral dilemmas. In each one, there was a self-driving car that experienced a sudden brake failure. As a player, your options are to tell the car to keep going straight, which might lead to hitting one set of characters, or tell the car to swerve, hitting another set. Okay, I'm about to start an experiment. The game is still online, so I decided to try it. I'm showing a picture of a self-driving car. Passengers in the car will die if they go through this intersection and swerve, or they will kill a female athlete, and the the, uh, passengers are walking on a no-walk sign. Gosh, can't I just hit the brakes? So in that situation, you have two moral principles that are pit against each other. Is it better to save two people rather than one person? Yes. Is it better to save people who are walking legally rather than illegally? Well, also yes. But now you have to choose between the two. And so you could see the moral priority that people gave these different dimensions. And and you did it with everything from pets to homeless people to um older people, athletes, doctors, executives. Did you have an expectation, Professor, as to what you would find? Yes. So obviously we expected people to preferentially save humans over pets, which they did. 
we expected people to save more people rather than fewer people, uh, which they did. Uh, after that, then the things started to surprise me. So one thing which was a big demographic factor that people took into account was, well, you should spare younger people by sacrificing older people. That's a, that should be a high moral, moral priority. Um, that was higher than uh, sparing people who are walking legally rather than illegally. Where did old men and old women or just elderly people in general, where, where did they fall on the list? You know, again, you have young people, but you also have executives and doctors and athletes. How about just elderly people in general? So they, they were deprioritized. They were pretty close to the bottom. The very bottom was cats. Just above cats was criminals and above criminals was dogs. And then just above dogs was elderly people. <laughs> there's, there's two things about that. So human criminals were less likely to be spared than dogs. Yeah, I mean, pe people love their dogs and people don't particularly like criminals. Remember that this was a stupid web game that people were playing. And so if you were to force them in a situation where they actually have to program this car, in the case of a, a criminal versus a dog, maybe they're not going to make the same decision. Maybe they would, but they may have been just like, in the moment, their heartstrings are pulled by the dog crossing the street, and uh, they may have reacted instinctively to say, absolutely not, I'm not sacrificing the dog in that situation. I, I want to talk specifically about elderly people because I think there's real relevance to what we're going through as a world with this pandemic. Did it matter if the person who was actually running the scenario, were they themselves elderly? Did they make the same decisions? So what we found was that the older you were, the less pronounced your desire to sacrifice the elderly to spare the young was, but they still did it. So it was, it, it, it was again, across all countries and all age groups, people preferentially sacrifice the elderly to spare the young, but it was a smaller difference the older you got. You know, it's, it's interesting. I remember reading these studies years ago where people uh, who were asked to define what is old age, what, what is old age, and perhaps not surprisingly, as the older you got, the older age was defined as later and later. If you were 70, you were more likely to say 80 was older. If you're a teenager, it's 60, you know? So maybe maybe that's part of it as well. Elderly people are more at risk, but I'm not elderly. When you think about this experiment and, and your findings, what do the findings tell us about our experience in this pandemic? There might be some aspect whereby the, the people for whom we have the least empathy are the people who we're tolerating dying a little more. Old, old people over young people is the big one. But we also had, uh, people had a, a preference to save athletes over overweight people. People had a preference to save uh, uh, women over men. People had a preference to save uh, rich people over poor people. All of those categories uh, are the ones that are seeing a disproportionate risk factor for dying from the pandemic. Do you, do you think it's translating in terms of medical care, resources that would be allocated towards certain groups of people? Does it translate, you think, um, are, are these types of feelings that you're describing into those types of policies or resource allocation? Yeah, so people are uncomfortable with triaging in general. They don't like it when people are making these life or death 
decisions with scarce resources. When triaging is seen to be required, they do take into account things like prognosis, but also age. And sometimes those two things obviously get get blurred together. They probably don't explicitly say that they'll take into account socioeconomic status, how much money you have, but somehow the medical system plays out that way anyways. And so I do think that the priority that people place over other people's lives does translate across uh, domains, uh, including the medical domain. You know, I do look at the the death rates, for example, in Asian countries like Japan and South Korea. And, and you know, these are countries that do tend to seemingly uh, value the elderly more. Um, multi-generational households, uh, you know, really no such thing as retirement, for example, in Okinawa. Now, I just wondered if you thought that played a role. Well, it, it it does line up with the data that we saw, like those countries which showed the least preference to sacrifice the elderly were the East Asian countries and the Muslim majority countries, whereas the places where you saw the, the greatest uh, toler- tolerance for sacrificing the old to spare the young were Western countries. I don't want to draw the causal connection too tightly, but we do see people are more compliant with mask wearing and social distancing in the East, especially in East Asia. Uh, And we did see lower death rates there. Um, The countries that we saw at the very bottom of our list for willingness to sacrifice the elderly were Taiwan, Japan, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Hmm. places where the death rate's not been as high as in places like the United States. I guess the the um, the corollary of that would be the question: Do you, do you think our reaction in North America, the United States, would have been different then if this primarily affected kids? Oh, I think I think it's certainly the case. If there were two hundred thousand fifteen year olds dying, uh, I think we would have had a very different approach to the pandemic. The whole country would have really shut down in that case. And the, the, one of the big factors, uh, the big psychological factors, is this idea of compassion fade. That as soon as it's more than just one person, we start becoming empathically numb to the situation. So that our, our empathy is is innumerate in this sense. Um, once it's 200,000 people, we stop caring. But when you move from just one person to 10 people, we care less um, already. And uh, that's playing an enormous factor. But I think that the demographics of the people who are dying as well is playing a big factor. So not just the age aspect, but the race aspect, the socioeconomic status aspect. Would would we still suffer from compassion fade if all the victims were younger? No, we would still still suffer for it. So a classic example was done by an old colleague of mine, Paul Slovic, uh, where he looked at how much people would be willing to allocate to a poor child uh, who was starving um, in an African country. Uh, And people would allocate so much X amount of money. And then in a different condition, they'd say two people, her and her her brother. And the, the total amount that people were willing to allocate would go down, not the number per person, but the total amount when there's two people was less. And those were children. Uh, so, so certainly it's the fact that we, wow. we experience compassion fade very powerfully uh, and we would, even if it was young people, but all of these aspects are kind of diminishing our empathy and they kind of make an argument that relying on these 
kind of biased emotions that we have is probably not the best way to organize our response. Large numbers are not good for empathy. People who are far away from us is not good for generating empathy. People who are different from us. The elderly people, these are not these are not the, the circumstances in which our empathy is going to be pulled very much, but there's still circumstances in which we have to do something. What, what, is this, what does this mean, do you think, in terms of what we should be doing? As a, as a journalist who tells these stories, is it worthwhile to try and get people to empathize more? Is that the right strategy then? I think what, what you and a lot of journalists are doing in terms of humanizing the single stories is effective because those are the stories that we pay attention to. The things that have moved me most are hearing about two things, either young people, uh, which as we know is much less frequent, but young people dying from, and, and especially actually suffering. You know, when you see a Twitter thread of somebody who's talking about their own experiences and listing the enormous plethora yeah. of symptoms that they've had, that, that hits me more than say, looking at the ticker number, just move up. And so humanizing stories of people who are similar to the, to your listeners is, is an effective way of uh, making people pay attention. But I don't think we should rely on people's empathy to be what motivates them to act in accordance with say social distancing rules or mask wearing. It, it seems like that's something that we have to think about abstractly uh, and maybe use other level, other levers, psychological levers that we have to motivate people to do that. So social norms is a big thing, just making them rules uh, making them things that you don't really have a choice. So you don't have to make a decision. How empathic do I feel about these people? Well, a four out of 10, so I'm not going to wear a mask. Don't give people the option to do that. Say, well, if you're in this circumstance, you wear a mask. If you're in this circumstance, you maybe don't have to. Uh, make it clear to people so they don't have to be basing a decision on emotion. They base a decision on what's actually been analyzed by experts looking at the data to be uh, beneficial. You know, in a way, I think my conversation with Azim feels a bit like pulling back the curtains on how I myself make decisions about how to communicate during this pandemic. When I go on TV or I head into my basement to record this podcast, I'm always thinking, what can I say that might actually get through to people? I think Azim's research helps shed light on why that can be so incredibly difficult and why I have to constantly remind listeners to wear a mask practice physical distancing, basic hand hygiene. How much different would this have been if it was primarily kids that had been affected? Regardless, we have to make basic public health practices the norm. We can save so many by doing so little. It's just good logic. It's an opportunity to protect people in your community. It's an opportunity for anyone listening to save a life. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.